Welcome to The Heartbeat. This conversation was a really good one, talking about masculinity in all forms and fashions. This is a conversation with my friend, Jetty Azuma. He is the creator of the Rising Man Movement, the Rising Man Podcast. Check him out on Instagram. Um, I don't think this podcast needs much of an intro because we talked about a lot of amazing things, but really the future of manhood. And Jetty does a lot of work with initiation. And so we got into some pretty epic conversations about what's needed right now from men and the next evolution of masculinity. Without further ado, you're listening to The Heartbeat. So what's on your heart to talk about today? (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, What's always alive in my heart is thinking about the future and not getting lost Mm -hmm. in the future, but really considering the future. These these little ones that wake me up in the morning, my little two little alarm clocks, my six-year-old <laughs> and my almost three-year-old, they're just such a, a, a beautiful reminder every day that there's there's a world that will exist beyond my time, beyond the time that I'm gone. And how am I trying, how am I setting them up to have a better life in the future today? It's always so present. So that's, that's always on my heart, man. I could always talk about Dude. that. Well, let's dive into that because it is really important given the current state of the world, I think, to look ahead and set this next generation up for a better life that we had. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I question myself a lot, you know, to be honest, to kind of peel off the mask. I, I wonder if I'm, I'm making the right decisions every day. There's this, I don't know if you've experienced this, uh, but I think a lot of people do. I've talked to a lot of other parents as well, where we feel like we're teetering uh, between two places. Like there's, there's one half of me that says, the world is coming to an end. We all need to learn how to how to chop wood and build fire and harvest food and live in the woods and do all of that. That feels very real. Like there's a part in my body that is asking me to to know these skills and have this lifestyle more, teach my children. And the other half that's saying, well, you also need to create a, a, a life for yourself. You have to continue to develop your career and get more drawn to this other end of the spectrum. And I, I'm constantly feeling torn because both have elements of truth and there's nobody and nowhere to go to get the quote unquote right answer. Right. It's like we're having to step in and be that we are, we are it right now. Yeah. And, and also what's the middle, what's the middle road, right? What does it look like to be more connected to the earth and to that way of living without Mm -hmm. compromising or, or fully withdrawing from society as it is right now? I think that's a, also a good point because we need both. It's a both and conversation, not an either or. Um, to really, I mean, every, to each their own, but to really stay present with the shift that's happening mm-hmm. and to forge it instead of um, being a passive bystander to things. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you mentioned a, two paths. You mentioned a lot here, so there's tons that I can like ask questions on. But what is it that you're actively doing for yourself? Um, let's start there. Yeah, well, for for starters, making the decision to so just a little bit of background context. When COVID started, we found out my wife and I that we had to leave the home we were renting down in Santa Barbara. And we didn't really know where we were going to go. The whole world, we were like, I don't know, maybe the world is changing forever. And we have no idea what's happening. So a very serendipitous sequence of events unfolded where friends of ours in Northern California had 10 acres of property in the Redwood Forest of Santa Cruz County. Mm -hmm. And they said, Hey, we have an opportunity for you guys to come and live here with us on the land. And I've also been talking with my friend who owns this land since we were 17, we've known each other. And we said, one day we'll have families and we'll raise our kids together on land. 
So it was like this really interesting serendipity of events that was unfolding and we said yes to. So for nearly two years now, we've been living on this beautiful property, helping to develop it and and develop the culture here and feeling as though, okay, here we are. We've made it to this point where we're literally in the woods, we're building fires, we're building houses, we're building structures, we're learning these more, I don't, I don't like the word primitive, but I guess you could say alternative life skills. And yeah. And then there was also a part of it that didn't feel fulfilling. That didn't quite feel like the big vision. So looking at this and looking at what we've been through in the past couple of years, my wife and I decided, hey, this is not a place that's really nurturing the vision we have in the short term. And so making the decision to soon become neighbors with you and the rest of the folks out in Austin. And that's really a decision for us to, that leans more towards that second side of the fence I mentioned before, where it's it's time for us to develop our careers and our business and our our impact on the greater community even more and see that as a step still a step in the direction of our greater vision of raising children in this good way so that that's that's probably the most significant step right now all our energy is focused on getting ourselves to austin and getting ourselves woven into the network that's already out there that's awesome and it's an awesome place to be and there's i mean everybody's going through a shift and transition as the world is right now um how have you been able to stay present with yourself and almost integrating all of the shifts? Because I know you do a lot of men's work and you do embodiment work. How, what, what practices have you done to say like, I don't know, to calm your nervous system? Because at least for me, there's so much changing all the time in the world, but also in my personal life, especially in the past few months since 2022 has started. Um, I would just love to hear that from you. That's selfishly curious question i love this question especially i can think of one podcast i was on a few years ago it was a single guy never had kids before and he said what is your morning what does your morning rituals look like right? it's a little more of a spiritually <laughs> oriented process and he asked me what is your what is your morning practice and i was like man my morning practice is making three breakfasts two lunches uh changing <laughs> changing two sets of diapers you know and and keeping my cool while everybody's screaming and moana's playing in the background and and i think i kind of stunned him because he was expecting me to talk about breath work and meditation and i did all of those things before i had children and now i i have to use what i practiced and develop in those times to be present with the chaos that's why you sharpen the sword so it's ready for those times where you need to use the tool and so you know in this particular stage you're absolutely right man i i just a couple months ago I was having this experience of for at least a month straight, waking up at two, three o'clock in the morning with my heart just pounding out of my chest, mm-hmm. just like I like I had been running a race and all of a sudden I, I woke up and I'm being chased by someone or something. And so first time in my life, I've really had that level of physiological effects from anxiety and stress and also just feeling like I wanted to just get out of my body for, for the first time in a long time since I had a really significant back injury a few years back. I just wanted to get out of my body. I was so uncomfortable in my experience. And mm. what helped me was a few things. Number one, just the practice of vulnerability and transparency with my support system. I'm, mm. I'm so fortunate being in this work to have so many contacts and connections. I had so many conversations over the course of a month, at least 40 or 50 with different people, just to get perspective, just to remember wow. that, hey, the life, the, the way I, because I, I saw life as I'm about to drive off of a cliff right now. And I'm, I'm accelerating. I want to go off the cliff because it's so uncomfortable. Uh, so perspective was really helpful. Just the practice of taking off my mask and being vulnerable. Lots of tears, lots of laughter, lots of the whole spectrum. Uh, 
getting back to my physicality. I've been an athlete my whole life. And at that point in time, I had gotten so wrapped up in trying to survive every day. My physicality went pretty much off the table and we got sick mm-hmm. a bunch. So just getting back to consistent physicality and also just giving myself a break. <laughs> it's not a, it's not like a formal breath practice, but giving myself permission to say, Hey, you did what you needed to do today. It's okay to just lay down and check out, um, yeah. getting to bed early. Right. I think sometimes we put these, you know, deeply spiritual practices above the simple things like yeah. drinking two full bottles of water every day, <laughs> working out <laughs> five times a week. Right. Like that's, that's literally what I did. That's what I had to do. I don't make yeah. somebody else like they don't need that because of the circumstances in their life. I needed to drink more water, exercise and get some more rest. And it's amazing how, how simple that is, but that's, that's really what I needed. Those were the practices that I've had for the past two months. I appreciate you keeping it simple and not hitting it with some complicated answer. Cause it is, it is simple. Um, I, I freaking love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's those, the truth. Yeah. I mean, when those things go to the side, that's when our physical health, mental health can start to take a hit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the other thing I, I would reflect back is that for those people who've been in that place and position, I, I wouldn't say I had a lot of mental health challenges growing up. I know some people have, more of my mental health struggles came in my 20s, in my early 20s, especially, and then in my later 20s when the kids arrived and my stress threshold just, it just got stretched to astronomical proportions. But what what I realized is that why perspective is so important, maybe the most important thing that I needed at that time was realizing that sometimes you're actually really close to the bullseye, but anything that's not the bullseye feels like it's miles away. I wasn't actually that far. I just needed to drink water, exercise, get more sleep, have some conversations, take a little consistent action every day. And literally within a few weeks, I started to feel tremendously different. Nothing else happened. No, no, no magic, no you know magic pixie dust here. Just doing some simple things because I wasn't actually that far from from feeling like my optimal self. But sometimes being outside of that central place of safety and security feels like you're miles away like being in a dust storm and feeling like you're just all of a sudden in the middle of nowhere. And then the dust settles and you're like, Oh, I'm 10 feet away from my camp. Yeah, that's true. It's a good analogy too. What's yeah. peaking, what's peaking your interest in your life right now besides the future? Cause I know that was a big one. <laughs> yeah. Areas of interest. Well, I, I, one thing that's really interesting me, because I always pay attention to patterns and things that come up. I've been focusing on men's work and supporting men for so long, really like the past 10 years of my life has been all dedicated towards understanding myself as a man and understanding other men and their experiences even better. And obviously, I don't feel like I've completely figured that out or like I've got that all covered. But I do feel like I have a, a really really comfortable understanding of where men are at. And there's been a lot of conversations that have been coming my way around. When are you going to start talking more about your relationship with your wife? When are you going to start talking more about where men and women come together on this subject? So to me, that's the request from the greater consciousness that, Hey, it's time for men have been doing some great work. Women have been doing some great work. It's where do we find ways to bridge these gaps and begin doing this work together? I've had a couple of teachers of mine who said that, yeah, it's important to have these separate conversations where we have something common that we relate to men's experience, women's experience for those who identify as men or women. But at some point, we're going to have to get everybody in the same circle inside of the same room because that's what makes a whole family. So 
I'm mostly just fascinated with that conversation right now because there's so so many more layers to it. It's like stepping into a whole new arena. It it is coming into harmony and and all of it's it's because then it's it's a collaborative effort mm-hmm. versus a single solo thing. Like you know, if you're a bodybuilder, it's you and you. You don't have any other teammates. It's mm-hmm. you're it's you in the gym, uh, and that's kind of what the solo work is, or the men's work, or the women's work. Once it gets into relationships, that's where a dynamic is set, where it is a, it is a team uh, to make it work. And you face up against, in my perspective, uh, your deepest woundings. Wounding and so it can be so turbulent and triggering. And I think that's why doing the men's work or the women's work is important than bringing it to the context of a relationship. I actually almost stopped talking about relationships in general and went super like spiritual with everything that I was talking about. Cause I was like, well, I want to talk about the human experience. So I want to, I want to talk about other things instead of relationships and my, my own like stuff with relationships, not having the best track record and other things. And I was getting in my head about all this. I'm like, who am I imposter syndrome? And then I was like, well, you know what? The biggest dojo for spiritual growth is in intimate relationships, in my opinion. It's the one that's most charged emotionally, at least, so we can see the most clearly. Um, and so that's been my area of work with my clients for the most part, latter of four or five years, has been in intimate relationships or your patterns in relationships, breakups, whatever it is. Um, and so I love that that's a part of the conversation that you're diving into. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you've had that perspective for yourself, because I think that that's something that, that that's the work, right? The work in relationship is looking in the mirror, just like everywhere else. And but for some reason in relationships, it's that much more complicated because there's so much worthiness and value tied into that. Uh, will I will I be attractive still if I own these other parts of me? If I present who I really am, will I still be attractive and find a partner? And it's also tied to vision for those people who really have long-term partnership in their in their vision when they think of their future and children it's a big deal i I love that you said that it's like uh one of the greatest exercises in personal development i i I like to say that getting married or long-term partnership is like a graduate degree it's like getting your (laughs) master's right in in life but then having children on top of that is like a phd it's got to be it's got to be a doctorate because once you feel like you've got the dynamic throw kids into the mix and you might as well be starting back at square one (laughs) Um, but in an awesome way, right? I mean, it's totally the whole point for, for this is to, to reveal our stuff and to, to bring humility into the picture. Like, Hey, here's, here are the places that I'm, I'm not showing up the way that I want to. And to do that in relationship and partnership. So powerful. So powerful. It is definitely. So in this exploration of the communication or the conversation, I mean, within partnerships, um, I guess, tell me more about that. Like what, what has been coming up for you? What are some of your ideas of what you would want to say in that conversation? Yeah. Well, like I said, so often I'm in this dialogue with, with men. Uh, So whenever I get an opportunity to speak with women, I've been invited to speak on podcasts that are geared towards women and in women's programs and spaces like that. I always like to remind women, because I know there's been a lot of, of wounding, a lot of harm, a lot of violence towards women from, from men. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's a, that's, there's no denying that that's, that's a part of our shared human history. And I like to remind women that I've talked to literally thousands and thousands of men 
And every single man that I've ever met who's taken off his mask and allowed himself to really be seen has a heart in there that really just wants to be of service, that wants to give love. Mm -hmm. And that's like the first instinct for men at our base layer is we just want to give back. We want to make people feel safe. We want to make people feel protected and appreciated. And anyone, any man who's not expressing that to other people, to himself, or, or especially to women, has layers of, of wounds, scars, shame, guilt, experiences that none of us know anything about until they start to come through and still the, until they start to be shared. So I, I always like to take the opportunity to remind people of that, that even, even some of the most quote unquote vile men on the planet, right? The, the people like the bottom of the barrel dudes that, that most people would say, that's, that's just not a good, good guy. There's something in there. And to me, the best thing that we can do at this time is to be more curious, ask ourselves why. Okay, well, maybe that's true. I mean, I don't approve of or excuse this man's actions, but what motivates you to be that way? What's caused you to become that version? And how many people are offering that type of curiosity to these to these men? Um, right, not a lot. Not a lot, man. Especially in this world where we could just cancel people and get on the you know the the social media mob and and go and i mean basically there's like social media lynchings that are happening left and right and we're yeah. justifying them based on behavior that we can prove through all of our modern technology and i'm not saying that we should excuse mm -hmm. these actions I, I, a lot of people would be like whoa 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 are you trying to give these guys a hall pass no i want to mm -hmm. hold these guys i want to hold everyone accountable i want to be held accountable myself to my actions and my words but i also would like the opportunity to have some some curiosity and compassion in the same in the same conversation and to me that's another one of those dynamic balance points that is is difficult for a lot of people to hold it's difficult for me to hold sometimes it's difficult for me to be as neutral as i possibly can but i'm committed to being that way because otherwise i think we just keep perpetuating this pendulum swing one way or the other because the men who are in that category they're like oh well you guys are just going to keep treating me this way well then i'll ramp up my activity that is not approved of in society and prove to you that I'm powerful or something, you know, whatever their story is. And it get, it breaks the pattern when we start to give compassion or meet it with curiosity and it starts to give them the opportunity to see there's something different mm -hmm. to take off that mask. And I think that's really important and not very well. It's, it's not populated, you know, in in the world especially with men yeah and, and i understand it too i understand the the mob yeah. mentality of you know when, when a man is exposed for sexual indiscretions towards women right maybe mm -hmm. he was he was inappropriate or abusive or violent or fill in the blank all right i i can understand it i can understand mm -hmm. that the motivation to be that way and to and to expose this person to create more safety yeah. Right. But, but even just having the, asking the question, is this actually creating more safety? Is this creating more mm -hmm. and not even just immediate safety? Is this what's creating a long-term safer future for our children? Cause I got a three-year-old daughter. Is it actually making this place a better world? If I jump on board the lynching of this man on social media because of his actions and really being curious about that. Let me let me let me think about that. Let me think about what, what are the long-term implications of this? What happens to this person when they get exiled? How would I feel? How would I feel if whether it was deserved or not, I got canceled out of my life and all of a sudden people that I loved and trusted don't want anything to do with me anymore. You know. Uh so 
that's where my mind goes. And I know it's not a popular place for, for most people to go. Cause I think it's easier just to jump on the bandwagon too and not be curious Just say, Hey, that's true. This is where the masses are going. So let's follow the herd. Right. Or, you know, like sitting with the curiosity of somebody's actions that weren't necessarily morally correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I think can also be just a mirror for us doing the inner work, right? Like mm-hmm. if we're able to sit in that neutrality with curiosity, uh, if we've sat with that part of ourselves, the things that we've shamed or guilt ourselves of for of the past, if we've, if we've been able to work through that, I think we have more capacity to do that with other people mm-hmm. and to see through it and to see their heart. But that's why the inner work is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I minored in social justice when I was, when I was in college and I, oh. there's a lot of things in, in, college that just didn't land for me because I was I also was in a place I was partying and stuff so yeah but there was there was a specific piece of that social justice education and curriculum I remember where we dove deep into this the the comparison between retributive and restorative justice and the and the long-term implications of that on a society when Mm -hmm. when we're when we're looking for retribution or even just a step beyond retribution when we want revenge we want justice right like this the the when people think of justice, even just hearing that word, what comes to your mind? Usually you're thinking of punishment. Like, yeah. Right? Like, like let's take this person, let's, let's, let's put them behind bars, let, whatever, right? Um, versus restorative justice, which is more of where my, my context comes from. And again, it's, it's, there's still justice involved, right? It's not saying, oh, let's give this person a get out of jail free card and a little, you know, pat on the shoulder and say, hey, don't do that again. It's, it's bigger than that. And that's the, I think there's a huge territory of conversation that's not being had around how can we restore? How can we make this right as a people by all taking responsibility for it? That incorporates more of the whole. How can we make it right? How can we have a completion versus how can we exile? How can we push away? How can we destroy? Yeah. And, Which and native- further divide. Exactly. Exactly, man. It, it totally furthers the divide. And, and, and I think there's a lot of people who don't even see that that's what's happening. It just feels good to get something accomplished. And right. even in, in traditional societies and in Native American indigenous societies, they talk about being in right relations, even if it's with your enemy, right? Being in right relations with, with your enemy, meaning being congruent, being mm-hmm. as, as moral and, and clear as possible with, with someone, even if they've transgressed against you or if they've done something to violate the safety or sanctity of you or your family how do you make that right relationship it's it's a whole nother level of uncomfortable conversation that i think a lot of people maybe that's what we're ready for now maybe that's what we've been building up to but i still see people are not not comfortable having those types of conversations yet it is a it's definitely triggering because the people who are justice seeking are already triggered yeah yeah and again I understand it. Get it. I get it. Totally mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. And then and I think I want to paint like that. You're saying this isn't, I mean, this, this can be applied to men, women, like everybody, anything that's happened, approaching it with curiosity and not, like you said, not giving a hall pass, but um, seeking to support the person. Like I actually had this conversation this morning. I used to have a nonprofit for domestic violence and one thing or another, it just kind of fell apart. But, it was so crazy because when I was looking into things, there was all this support for survivors and not a lot for the abusers. 
And I'm like, well, if we want to stop this, why wouldn't we just go to the people who actually are doing it and find some wholeness there? Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't know the statistics. I don't know if you do either. So this is not like research based, but I would, I would guarantee that over 90% of abusers have been abused themselves. I, I don't I, I, something like that right and and so it, so it, even even just looking at that well maybe somebody has perpetrated abuse but do we are we still willing to look at them as a victim of abuse too and treat them as such Oof. right so good more curiosity go deeper go deeper like that's that's the to me that's the energy of the conversation that we need to be having right now and it's a courageous thing to do it's something that's going to be uncomfortable it's going to bring more likes and more of this social media vitriol in the comment sections because it's going to be triggering but just the only thing i ask of people is to be curious first to be willing to understand before making knee-jerk decisions on who people Judge are and where they're coming from mm -hmm. right like withhold the judgment be curious mm -hmm. The conversation about having the um, abusers having been victims themselves is, I think, is is a really big one that we can start to see it with the lens of compassion, and again, not excusing the behavior, but really seeing the soul of a person instead of the actions of a person. Um, and that really is the skill that I think is required to have these conversations or that, or maybe it's the conversations that build that skill. And, uh, you know, I'm not big on all of the, all of the, you know, social media lingo, the things that get spoken about over and over and used so much that it, what are we even talking about anymore? But when people talk about sacred masculine or they talk about, you know, this, the, the purity of the masculine coming forward, these, these warriors coming back forward into our society, I think what people want to see in in a man who's really embracing and owning that context is somebody who can be the line of safety doesn't mean that i have to be aggressive or violent towards somebody that's bringing energy towards my family but that i can hold the line that i can mm -hmm. that could still be that safe place in a world that is so inherently unsafe the the world the natural world is so violent there's animals getting yeah. ripped to shreds literally in the name of life and survival every single day we just don't see it Right. And that's not going to change. So having creating the society where we can be a safe place, but still be thinking at a higher level, still be still be civil without creating any more unnecessary violence in our yeah. in our society. To me, that's and, and I don't honestly, I don't know what that looks like yet, because I don't know if we've seen that for several generations. Right. That's very true, which I guess. Why do you think that happens? Because I'm sure you've done a lot of research on just the development of men and the development of men and all of that. Where do you think it got lost and that those, those things stopped? It's so timing is so great. I, I just did a <laughs> podcast episode on my show last week with a, a guest of mine, a buddy of mine, who's a, he's a historian. He has a PhD in history and he did his dissertation wow. on uh, the evolution of masculinity during colonization. Um, so wow. when Europeans were coming to the Americas and so, uh -huh really, really interesting stuff. The first place that we went to was patriarchy and we didn't plan to go there, but he mentioned it in, and we were talking about Roman times where this, the whole idea of the patriarch of a family came to fruition. And what it really meant was somebody who, who's uh, the representation of their honor and their legacy and who they are is depicted in how their household is run. Mm. So really when we actually go to the roots of patriarchy, it was just about 
being a noble man whose impact and influence on his family is reflected in his in his wife and in his children and that they're noble upstanding citizens in society like sign me up for that I, I want more men in the world who are focused on taking care of their family and letting their family be a reflection of who they are but it got twisted out of control when men needed to feel like they needed to control and manipulate their family and to keep order in their household uh, so certain levels of violence became permissible in order to preserve the the state of the household, which was ultimately preserving your image. So I think it all just comes back to safety and image, because even the, the appearance of somebody in some of these older societies was tied directly to the opportunities you had for growth to to advance your family and your social status. Um, business opportunities, economic class, all of that was tied to how I appeared on the outside, ultimately my, my sense of safety, my ability to take care of my family. So when we started to manipulate those variables in this, you know, modern civilization, a lot of things started to change because then it wasn't about us as a, as a people, it was about me as a person and us as a, as a small nuclear family. I think that's where a lot of it went wrong. Cause when you're only considering a, yourself or a couple of people, you don't really care about the rest of the world. You don't even care about your neighbors because it's just my class. Mm. So it was, it was good intended, but it had a shadow side to it. Yeah. And then snowballed out of control. Wow. And so that was when we were coming to America's. Yeah. It, yeah. It was... I mean, this is like, you know, Roman times. So, you know, a couple millennia oh, okay. ago and, and then, yeah, just those influences of, you know, the impact of the Roman civilization, right. The Roman empire that just, spread far and wide and then the impacts of christianity after this empire had already spread and the and the, the little things that kind of made their way in between the lines of this greater moral system right because if you pick if you pick pieces apart of any of these greater world religions there's elements of really noble and honorable ways of living i don't think yeah. anybody would disagree with that it's the stuff that kind of slipped in between the lines and it was hidden in secrecy and justified behind the curtain and behind closed doors um, for what we as people started to put value on status, class, yeah. manifest destiny. You know, we became me oriented instead of we oriented. Right. Which was the big shift. I think so. Yeah. Dang. It's, it, that's been an area of that's really been an area of study for me. And I think you just summed it up. So thank you. <laughs> well, I, I think I just opened the book. There's a lot more to, <laughs> lot more uh, yeah, to study. That's yeah. a good, it's a good like viewpoint of it all though. Sure. Well, again, it's just about curiosity. Cause I know that you could throw a word like patriarchy out there. Even just say the word, just even if I just made a social media post and I've said patriarchy, what do you think? Right. I mean, yeah. nobody's going to go all the way back and say, well, in ancient Roman times, patriarchy was, you know, uh, <laughs> Right. That's just that's just not the way that we think. There's there's like a surface level of curiosity, and I think it's that. Here's another place we went wrong: the access to information, and where you know what what are we actually getting? Where are we actually getting our information from? Right? You hear people all the time talk about, well, don't just rely on social media for your news. Don't rely on what people are saying in their Instagram reels to be fact. But that's what we do because what else? Where else are we taking in information? Just look at the numbers, right? There's whole generations that are getting the majority of their information from social media, what people are saying. Got people like you and I, right? People like you and I who go on there and we, we share our opinions. And it's, 
people forget that, that this is just my interpretation of what I've listened to and what I've seen. Doesn't mean that it's necessarily fact. And so right. that's another place is we've we've completely changed. I mean, I do you remember how old are you? I don't know if I've ever asked you. Yeah. Say again. Twenty eight. 28. Okay. So maybe you remember, I'm 34. I remember back when I was in, in middle school, not even middle school, like grammar school, and they were teaching us how to do research reports. You have to go over to the library and they had these wooden drawers and you had to flip all of the cards and look up like the, the, the three letters of the author. And it would tell you where the book was. Then you walked over to a shelf and you pulled the book out and you had to read the book to get information. <laughs> it's like, it was a lot of effort. Now, you could probably have written the report by the time in the time it took for me to go and actually find something to look up. So there's just our access to information and, and the information that we deem as as fact and true. That's another important conversation. Like, what are we when we say, oh, that's true? Oh, uh, facts, right? Big facts. What are we talking about? What does that even mean anymore? Does that mean I'll, like that's in alignment with my perspective of reality? I don't know, but. That word fact used to mean something else when I was growing up. That was irrefutable evidence that everybody, that, 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 that this bandana right here, this color is red. And unless somebody's colorblind, they're not going to argue that that's red. We could say that's a fact, right? That this is what red is. Mm-hmm. But there's very, there's actually very few things that are facts. Are facts. Truth. Facts. Oh, man. So with moving forward in the next the next wave of masculinity as you talked about we don't really know what that next divine masculine sacred masculine looks like um what is it that you hope to see you mentioned safety and holding the line what other um morals or like character traits do you see in the new evolution of man that is being asked for by women or that is that maybe you just see as a gap that could really support with what's all happening in in the next coming back to we i'm so glad you asked me that question man because i had i'm a very visual person so the, the word that came to my mind was spaciousness and i was thinking about myself where where in my life would i like to see myself become a better more capable man for my family for my community I'd like to just be able to to have more spaciousness, to take on whatever presents, right? I mean, like I said, marriage and having small children, just it forces you to stretch. Otherwise, that's why you don't make it. Like that's, that's why relationships and families don't make it is if we don't, and everybody involved, not just the men, but we're talking about men right now. If, if I don't stretch to hold more, then I start to lose things. Things start to fall out of my container. And so- the image I had in my mind was to see a man who can just hold more. Like I was just imagining a man just like maybe with like a barbell on his back and they're just like dumping more weight into the, into the (laughs) container and he's just holding it. And like, and not, not with like a, a grimace on his face, like it's hard, but like with a peaceful Zen because he's prepared himself to take on more. That's what I want to see. And the key to this image is that that just looks like what we've been asking men to do for years and years and years. I'd love to see him holding it and having, when you zoom out, you see that he's being supported by other men. Mm. You see that he's being supported by other people that are helping him to hold that load. He's not just holding it all by himself. He's committed to being underneath it for the sake of his people, 
but he's and he's and he's committed to to being as as at peace with it and accepting of it as possible but he's also not proud too proud to accept and receive support mm. and that's how it really works that's how we make sure that we don't we don't break our men we don't break them mm-hmm. down but just yeah just seeing that image of more being dumped because he can handle it because he's got support and he's got the training and the preparation to be with it and be more spacious the space it's a great visual and a capacity for more. Um, are you referring to like um, demands, stress levels, all of it, and all physical? It. Like, yeah, man. Uh, financial responsibilities, energetic and emotional safety and security. You know, the, the classic terminology of a man being a provider. Is, I used to think it was about well, putting food on the table and a roof over the head. So much more than that. Mm-hmm. right being a safe place even when i don't feel safe mm-hmm. you know when when i'm like i don't know what's going to happen to still be a a lightning rod a grounding rod for for my family in those moments that's that's what i desire to be and in order for me to be that i also have to have a space where i can go and i can reach out for support and stability in those moments and that's what i that's my that's another one of my practices right speaking of the work is reaching out when i don't feel settled i reach outside of my family I reach to my men, to my brothers, who the guys who know me, who support me, so that I can re-enter my family space as a more spacious, as a more prepared and and ready to receive man. There's a lot of the in the conversation about community that you brought up indirectly or directly, um, especially for men and how important that is. Um, I'll speak to that because I, I, that for me at least that's been such a key component to the tough times in my life. I can look back at the few friends that I did lean on for support and it was night and day. Ah, man, I could, I could talk forever about that. You know, the, there's the narrative that's going around about the lone wolf, you know, that men are not meant to be lone wolves. There's also the reality that we still spend a lot of time by ourselves. So in those moments where we can be together and creating more moments where we can be together and be in connection to be vulnerable, to take the mask off, just get honest so important because m- most of our lives, no matter how involved you are in men's work, still spend a lot of our time by ourselves out there in the world. And you never know when, when that space for support may not be accessible for whatever reason, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And so community, yes, tapping into support systems, networks, consciously creating those and developing those relationships. Absolutely. And ultimately that should just be preparing us more for those moments where we won't have that. It's like um, it's like taking a drink of water at the at the oasis and then carrying on your journey through the desert. When you're at that oasis, you you load up, right? You're gonna take. I'm gonna take a good long drink of water because I don't know when I'm gonna get a sip of water again. I trust and have faith that there will be another one. That's how I continue to walk and navigate through the hard times. But I'm gonna I'm gonna tap into this well while I can. That's such a good, I think, point to land on with with all of this coming to the future it really is about community and shaping the the support that we have around ourselves uh, and at least speaking from personal experience has shaped the decisions i've made in my life the care, the person that i am today has been the the people that have supported me i look back to like really times when i was struggling five six seven years ago um like i was sleeping on the street i had no money to my name like it was rough and i didn't have support at all or if I did, I didn't ask, and I was shamed, shameful to, to even 
asked for the support. And I was lone wolfing it back then. And like, for some reason had a badge of honor about it all. And it was, it was very interesting. I'm like, it could have been so much easier to just reach out and say, Hey, this is going on. Uh, because we are a lot more alike than we are different in my opinion. Oh, yeah, a lot. I love that. That's one of the first things that I say to guys when they, when they like, what is this men's work stuff? I'm like, Oh, well, the first thing you're going to realize is that you're not unique at all. As, as much as you <laughs> want to fight for your unique story. I'm sorry. You're not. Cause yeah. I've, I've heard it all. I've seen it all. I've heard it all. And you can't tell me something that I haven't experienced myself or heard somebody else share. So, yeah. and there's a, there's a, there's a relief in that. If you can give yourself the permission to just say, Hey, this is what I'm going through. This is where I've been and have somebody else say, Hey, don't worry, man. You're not alone. Me too. I've been there. I'm going through it right now. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's so much medicine in that. Even just that alone can heal right. so much. Very true, man. Well, where can people find more about you and what all you do in your community? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm on Instagram at Jetty Azuma. It's just my name. You can check me out and all the ideas and opinions that I have. Um, <laughs> I'm the founder of Rising Man Movement and the host of the Rising Man podcast. So if you go over to at Rising Man Movement, you'll find out about everything we got going on over there. It's our whole our whole mission is to initiate an entire generation of men into purpose-driven leadership so we can have those men mm-hmm. walking the planet for generations to come. So anybody who takes an interest in that kind of work or wants to find out more about what we do, just come and spend some time. Awesome. Well, dude, this has been an epic conversation. We went all over in the best of ways. I appreciate you so, so much. Thanks for being on. Likewise, man. Honored to be here. Of course. For everybody tuning in, check out all of his links will be down in the show notes below. And as always, put some heart into everything that you do today.